Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hi, my name is Belinda Ragnew. I am the founder of Focus Group, which is digital tech, scaling tech talent, uh, obsessed with startup tech, huge fanatic in the tech space. Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Series. I will now hand you over to the host, Jonathan Bowman Perks. Belinda, thank you. It's so lovely to have you. And I also appreciate the fact that in Melbourne, Australia, where you're at the moment, it's eight o'clock at night. So you definitely need a glass it of is. wine. Give us, show us I a glass actually, of wine. Show us a glass I of wine. I actually do have a yeah. glass of wine. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a, not a glass, that's a bucket. It's like half Isn't a glass. It a bucket? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably, yeah, it's probably two glasses. It's like one glass. That's very good. Well, look, it's lovely having you on the show because you also are a podcast host yourself of uh, Startups and Unicorns. And uh, you yes. interview lots of entrepreneurs around the world. So it's lovely to, to yes. meet a fellow podcaster. Um, tell us a bit about uh, the other things that you're doing right now. And then we'll go back to childhood and the things that influence you. So what's, what's all the different things you're doing right now? Oh, my gosh. So I am doing so many cool things right now. I'm actually really excited about, I guess, the work life I have now I feel like when you work so hard everything starts to fall into place you know five six to ten years down the track which is exciting so um, I mean I'm involved in a couple of cool startups Um, one of them is floofers which is a SaaS product for pets so it's essentially like an air tasker where pet sitters meet pet owners um, and then I'm also involved in a another startup called Anywhere Auctions, which is a prop tech company where you literally can bid from your mobile phone. You can purchase a property from your mobile phone anywhere in the world. It's it's really cool. Um, and they're about to launch in USA. Um, I'm also involved in another tech startup called BizPay, which we're actually going to go in IPO sometime next year. Um, so they're like a fintech company where they ask to pay for businesses. So you can pay your services in four installments, but you as a provider, as a company can get paid within 24 hours, but it allows your client to pay in four installments, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I'm cooking up a um, Netflix for recruitment myself. So I'm currently working on an MVP. We actually just about to close a pre-seed for that to be honest, um, just so, so close to it, but it's been uh, a roller coaster in itself because it's my first raise. Um, so learning a ton, but really excited. Wow. Well, Belinda, <laughs> that's that's going to keep anybody busy. And, and yeah, <laughs> to, to, to take us from the from the leader you are today, working in this entrepreneurial way, way back to when you were born. What are the the people and the kind of events that have shaped you as the leader you are today? Tell us a bit about that. Um, You know, I thought about this so many times and I I feel like I constantly keep changing the way that I think, I mean, mean, like five years ago versus my answer now. 
I think what shaped me is um, definitely my upbringing. Like as you, you know, Jonathan and many entrepreneurs and many leaders, it's literally your childhood um, and how you were brought up, in my opinion. And I actually just recently seen my family last week, actually. I haven't seen them in like a year and a half, I think. It's been a really long time. So I am close to my family, but I'm not extremely close. So I would call myself like, the black sheep, the outsider, in a sense. So a lot of my family is completely polar opposite to me in so, so many ways. So my family, most of my family actually don't work. (laughs) So a lot of them rely on government benefits and things like that. You know, God bless them and, and, you know, with whatever they do, but we're completely different. So I think my upbringing was... I guess, not, I wouldn't say poor, but it was almost on the edge of poor. So I came up, um, I, my, my mom uh, brought me up as a single mom. Um, so she was a single mom. She was homeless when I was, you know, a really young baby. Um, I think, I think I was about, I don't know, like five months old. She was homeless for about a couple of years. Um, and then she ended up moving around in, in random people's homes because she couldn't afford her own home. Um, and then my mum kind of just became a cafe worker, labour worker for, for many years, still is. Now she's working in aged care. But, um, you know, for many years she was doing that. So I, I think growing up I didn't really have a role model to look up to in any way. I think when I was growing up I was told numerous times <laughs> by my family members that I was never going to do anything. Um, You know, I was never going to achieve anything. I, you know, looked different because I'm a European and my mum's side of the family is all white and Australian, blonde hair, blue eyes. So I was really the outsider in so many ways. Um, So, yeah, I was constantly put down. I was called dumb. Um, Even by my teachers, it was was a constant thing from everybody, actually. Um, And then I think when I hit high school, my life just changed around. So I moved from country to city and then the city, obviously bigger population. So I kind of found myself in a popularity group. Um, And I think I learned a ton from them and my confidence just grew um, enormously. And I think from my job and, and so forth after that, but from my upbringing, yeah, single mom, don't know my dad, still don't know my dad, don't have a relationship with him. Um, was an outsider, very shy, not confident at all, didn't even speak to anybody. Um, Yeah, I was really pushed to the side, pushed to the corner. So I think that kind of made me the woman that I am today. It was just fighting, fighting to to do something with my life. You know, Mm -hmm. it was like the grit. I just couldn't stop until I did something. And then when I keep doing more, I just want to keep doing more. It's like, it's not enough. (laughs) When is it enough? And it's never enough. So I think it was, yeah, definitely um, coming from, from that for sure. Wow. And that's quite some story. Um, Like you, um, I didn't know my father. I mean, he was killed when I was three. I mean, I know history of him, but I, I, I do find that a number of the people who've push themselves and been successful in different fields uh, often have lost a parent or not known one of their parents. And, and this, there's this badge collecting 
that I think you have done and I've done of trying to prove things. We look at the, the different entrepreneurial businesses that you're involved in and all the things that I'm trying to do. It, it, it is, it, it, it pushes us. We're almost, we almost become dysfunctional because we're trying right. to prove to someone who's long dead. I mean, psychologists have a field day with us because we're trying <laughs> to prove to people that we're good enough. And every time we achieve Literally. something, it's the next thing. Like, you know, I sort of said to someone, so now you've climbed Everest, you know, what next? Because, well, I'm looking for the next thing. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. you know, been into outer space. So um, I, I think it, it is interesting, um, the hardship that you've been through and the fact that you haven't got the role models and people did run you down. Yeah. I was told I was thick and I was going to be a dustman. I don't know whether you call them dustman in Australia, but you know, <laughs> the, gar the garbage guys, because I couldn't spell, I couldn't, I couldn't do maths. I, I turned out to be dyslexic. Yeah, me too. I was terrible. Yeah, I yeah. turned out to be dys dyslexic. And, and, and so a bit like uh, Richard Branson, who's dyslexic too, he, he finds his way. That is really interesting. So, so from, from your experiences, tell us about, you know, in your, in your life so far, one of your proudest moments and what you learned from that. And also one of the toughest, darkest personal moments for you. Yeah. Um, I don't want to keep repeating myself on podcasts. I think I want to think of something a little bit different. Um, I think the proudest moment to date recently, um, to be honest, has been my pre-seed. I never really thought, like, I don't want to be a feminist, but I never really thought as a woman, A, and a non-technical founder, like no technical background, um, B, could raise such a large amount um, pre-seed just on an ideation. And an ideation is essentially an idea. This is my idea on paper. I don't have anything else bar the idea. Do you want to back me? And I think that's probably one of my proudest moments to date. Um, I think that's, that was really exciting. And to speak to companies, you know, $100 million companies about this, they were also like, holy crap, like, this is a big deal, B. Like, this is kind of unheard of. The fact that you have no revenue, you have no, like, real, um, I guess, track record in technical space. You haven't really exited a company. Um, the fact that these people are willing to back you with such, you know, millions of dollars pre-seed, like, with an idea is is kind of unheard of. So, Negotiations, that's amazing. Um yeah, contracts are not signed yet, but there is commitment there. Yeah, for sure. So I think that was just kind of one of like, oh my God, this is really happening, you know? Mm. <laughs> so yeah, that's really exciting. Um, and then I think the darkest moment for me would probably be, uh, oh, this is tough. There's a couple of dark moments. I think the darkest one would be, I think something that I'm still struggling with now um, to be vulnerable uh, is, you know, I guess personal side, the personal side for me. So I think, you know, you were saying not having a parent and things like that. So we kind of thrive uh, in business. We do really well in business. We do really well professionally because of, you know, our upbringing and our past and things like that. We're trying to prove to ourselves and we have high expectations. But in my personal life, I do, I'm not really good at it. I'm still trying to figure it out like my relationships and 
and you know I'm not married and you know I don't have kids and like you know things like that so I think as a woman at 30 almost 31 in November uh it's kind of like this is the time where we have children this is the time when we, we are married we get married or, or something's happening in our lives personally and I don't have that yet and I haven't really figured it out yet I think that's still something recently that I'm still trying to figure out mm. to be yeah. honest yeah yeah, yeah. That, that, that makes <laughs> sense and and I think uh, with all the entrepreneurs and successful business leaders they get very focused mm. in some areas and they forget others uh, or, or yes, they're successful yes. in one but not another so um, yeah, I wish you yeah. I wish you every success with that and um, so. and thank you thank you for for being open about that and and That's with okay. all the experience that you've got by the age of 31 and and I quickly add that my children are age sort of 26 to 29 so they're you know similar age being an old an old an old guy um, to, <laughs> to, to you their, their boyfriends are a similar age to you um, what advice would you give to the 16-year-old version of you, uh, your younger self, having learned in the intervening years what you've learned? What, what advice would you give to the young 16-year-old Belinda Agnew? There's so many things that I would say, but I always go back to I wouldn't do it differently because if I had, I wouldn't be in the situation that I'm in. And at 16 years old, you all, we all know what we're like, or we all knew what we were like at 16. If I had said 10 things that were going to be important in my life, uh, I wouldn't have listened anyway. Mm. <laughs> That's a very so good point. No, it's true. I wouldn't have listened. So whatever I would have said, I wouldn't have listened. And I think a lot of people need to go through it to be able to experience it and come out in the end. Mm -hmm. So um, I think on, on that, there's one thing that I, I would say to myself, if, if I was to listen to it, I would definitely say that you need to take a chill pill and believe in the universe <laughs> <laughs> and everything will eventually fall into place. So I'm a bit of a control freak. I like to control things in the future. Um, so I think the advice that I would have is just enjoy the journey um, as much as you can, because, you know, life keeps moving regardless this, of whatever you do. This is really interesting. And, um, you know, I'm over 60 now. And when I look back, I was just way too intense when I was younger. And I should have yeah, taken super it. I, intense. I, I should have taken it. Yeah. Into because, you know, not everything is a disaster. No one's died. Um, I'm now at the age where, you know, sadly, people I know and care about are dying. And so this does matter. Um, but, yeah. but I think when we're younger, we take ourselves way too seriously. We do. Uh, and far too intense. And actually, we miss out on a lot of fun. But yeah, thank you for that. So let's go around the Inspiring Leadership Compass with some experiences and tips. Uh, MQ is the, is the first one, the sort of moral compass, the the principles, the values, your integrity, what you will do and what you won't do. What are the sort of top three foundational values that you tend to live by that Ooh, serve, serve, serve you well? What are they? Number one, definitely freedom. Yeah. Freedom is big, big, big for me. Um, hence why I am in the space that I'm in because it gives me the freedom to do what I want, whom I want, when I want. So I think freedom for me is definitely big. Uh, number one, for sure. Um, number two would definitely be um, 
I think family mm-hmm. would be number two for me now that I'm a little bit older. Um, I used to say independence, but I think independence comes with freedom a little bit. Um, and then I think three would definitely be um, a mixture of independence and love for sure. But again, love is almost combined with family. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And and from your moral values and your integrity, the next one around is PQ. What gives your life meaning and purpose? Why you do the um, the tech start fanatic work you do? You know what what gives your life meaning and purpose, Belinda? So this is interesting because I never thought if you had told me like five years ago that I was going to be in tech I wouldn't have believed you I would have been like tech what like no that is not (laughs) the space I want to be in technology is not for me um the reason why I got into tech is because I I guess I just I I was reading up a lot about you know um when I started the recruitment agency um I was in I guess, the tech space recruiting for tech companies. And I was very much involved um, with tech founders. And alongside that, I seen, you know, a small, solving a small problem and scaling that up, you know, quite massively, but obviously reaching the masses with technology was far more larger than doing it manually or through a service business. So I think technology for me is, isn't something that I would say I'm a, I'm obsessed with at the core. I think for me, what I'm obsessed with is solving an issue and making my life easier with it. Mm. Hence why I love it because I know how powerful it can be with solving just a simple solution, really. Yeah. Um, a problem, sorry. Uh, so I think technology kind of found me. I didn't mm. find, I think it found, it came to me and it just, and I ended up, you know, loving it. It's like, you know, um, it was funny when I was interviewing Elena Cardone, or I don't know if you know her, but the Cardones, but um, she, they're like a billion dollar family. And um, it was funny, she was saying, when I met my husband, he was this like short little stumpy guy and I just didn't have love for him at all. And I didn't know who he was and I, I just wasn't attracted to him. I didn't like him at all. He just wasn't for me. And then later down the track, I just found this love for him and he just made me the woman that I am today. And I found myself through him. And wow. I feel like that's kind of like the journey that I went on, but with technology. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of the love that I have for it. It's it's like, I never really loved it at the start, but I ended up loving it. It's a very good way of, <laughs> a good way of putting it together. And I, I think it was the late Steve yeah. Jobs. And Steve Jobs yeah. said, you join the dots looking backwards and, and you make sense of things that came to you. And, and yeah. you know, here I am coaching Sears boards, top teams. I never saw that years ago. That's what I was going to do. But a number of things happened to me in my time in the army and things like that and working in IBM and PricewaterhouseCoopers that brought me to this. And you can make sense yeah. of it looking back. And, and uh, you know, here you are now. Who's to know what you'll be doing at 41, at 51, at 61? So right. might might be some very different things. That's really helpful. Uh, next one is health quotient, health and well-being, mental and physical health and well-being, which is so important to so many people who are listening around the world today. What would be your uh, top tips how you keep yourself physically and mentally fit and healthy? Um, I think for me, um, 
look, this is, I, I think this is something that I'm still also trying to figure out. So I am not the type of person where I would wake up in the morning and do what most entrepreneurs do um, and how they thrive is, you know, usually they meditate, they write down what they're grateful for, they they journal, they do lots of these things. They wake up at 4 a.m., they go to the gym. But it's like none of that I, I don't do. I don't do any of that, actually. I don't meditate hardly. I think my meditation is when I'm walking. Um, I don't really read books. I listen to audio podcasts or audio books more so, or I have conversations with people that interest me. Um, that's kind of how I learn and get my information. Um, I think health, it's its such a term that I, that almost directs to everything that entrepreneurs do, but I feel like I don't do any of that. I do the opposite. So I'm vegan. I've been vegan for eight years now. So I don't eat any, any animal products. I don't consume meat, don't consume dairy, don't consume egg or anything that comes from an animal. It's something that I chose um, eight years ago. So I had really, I was actually quite overweight eight years ago, not overweight, but I was probably I don't know, 15 kilos heavier, which is quite large for, for me. I'm quite small. Um, and I had cystic acne all over my skin. I don't know if you know what cystic acne is, but it's like a terrible, like for a woman, it's terrible. So I was really um, self-conscious for, for almost 12 months. Long story short, um, I ended up going vegan for animal reasons. Secondly, was for health. But since being vegan, um, it has completely changed like the way that I look at life and the way that I feel it's not for everybody, but I believe when you consume animal products, it's almost like you're consuming the energy from that animal or the, the energy that the animal has lived. So health is important to me in that sense. I believe in energy. Energy is obviously made up of everything in life itself. So that's one of the things that I truly believe in is, you know, consuming the right things and making sure you're consuming, um, you know, the best for your body. Um, but everything else around that is, it's not really something um, that I do. Yeah. I no, that, meditation, no. you should be doing meditation. I feel like I'm the worst person to talk about this, by the way. <laughs> no, it's, it's very interesting. And uh, that's, that's probably the only healthy thing that I do is, is, is vegan, but I yeah. don't, I'm not a hardcore health freak. No, well, like I'm drinking red wine. So. Well, I'm assuming it's vegan red wine, where where they don't use. I yeah, think they, yeah, they can yeah, they yeah. can use fish gut, can't they? To uh, to uh, fil do, fil to filter. Even like strange. pig pig, uh, pig fat. Yeah, liquidated yeah. pig fat. No, it, it is interesting, uh, Belinda. You you had the, um, the, the 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 vegan decision. I I did vegan for a year, and the reason I did vegan for a, a year. Uh, was I got late onset asthma, and so I went. Right. I went vegan. My asthma went within a month, and I've just kept dairy off. I don't have dairy now, um, but I have introduced fish and egg, and uh, occasionally some red meat, but very not that often. But I just generally yeah. eat a very, a very healthy diet, and I do. Uh, this morning I did my mindfulness. I did the walk with the dog uh and, and <laughs> that's and your meditation exactly i did the med my meditation I, I do 20 minutes of uh headspace oh you do uh, um i've done it Amazing. for 335 days 
um, a program, wow. just con continual. Mm -hmm. There's a 365 day program, which I'm doing. So, um, and, and then if I hadn't just had an operation, I'd be training in the gym as well. Um, so I, I, I am like your other entrepreneurs. I like doing that, but it's interesting. Everybody's different. And, and I think of this the, is the thing. Everybody's different. This yeah. is the thing. Everybody's different. And like, I feel like, you know, when I talk to people, they're like, oh my gosh, you don't wake up at 5 a.m. They're like, what? like what do you mean you go to bed at like so like 3 a.m like what is wrong with you and I I think you shouldn't if everything is different for everybody I think do what works for you don't follow what other people are doing because that may not no. work for you did I hear you say yeah. you go to bed at 3 a.m sometimes yeah right and you get up at what time uh eight okay all right that, that, that is <laughs> sometimes, good sometimes that, that's quite that's quite rare to have so little sleep and um uh, i know i know there's a very good book <laughs> i recommend you read by matthew walker called why we sleep and it's really good audiobook audiobook called why no, we sleep no no i do i do sleep like if i'm tired i'll go back to sleep right and i'll i'll move stuff around like sleep is super important to me super yeah. important if i don't sleep my day is just ruined yeah yeah I definitely try and get 8 hours sleep for sure it does make a, a huge difference. I think something like the difference between getting six hours sleep and getting seven and a half hours sleep is an extra 30% performance. I think that's an yeah. awful, that's a huge amount. Moving on from health sure. to, to emotional uh, intelligence, EQ, um, what, what would be a tip that you've learned about building rapport and influencing people through, through getting to know them? Would you, would you share any tips you've learned about people yeah, I think um, uh, a lot of people, when they they meet people, especially in business, um, they come across as an opportunist. Mm -hmm. And I think once the other person sees that or feels that, they put a guard up straight away. So I think um, whether you, you know, um, want to do business with that person or whether you want them um, as a client or, or whatever um, I think you just need to go in and, and actually get to know the person first um, on a personal level uh, prior to you know shoving your services down their throat um, I just think it's you know we're all human and we all feel things we're all emotional um, I think based on my career that's one thing that I'm I, I could say that's my best asset is I'm very good at connecting and networking with people so I think um, it's definitely, you know, based on actually wanting to get to know that person on a on a genuine level rather than just coming in uh, as an opportunist. Yeah. So, yeah, one of the things is, you know, going in, getting to know the person on a personal level rather than, you know, um, from a business perspective. I would I would definitely support that. And, and I'm a great believer in people's stories. I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by yeah. just as, as I am about yours, yeah. about, about stories. It's interesting, where, right? Yeah. And you cannot hope to get to build a relationship with someone unless you really understand where they've come from and, and their experiences and what shape yeah, the values, the values they have. No, that's because uh, you find relevance through it, right? You, you're like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's me too. And then you start communicating that way. And then you start to, you know, have similarities and then rapport builds from that. So I think, you just need to, um, you know, talk to them on a personal level. Don't be an opportunist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, people people smell it a mile off. They can just sense oh, that you, yeah. you're, 
you're trying to take something from them and there's nothing in it in return and then and and that you're not really interested in them you just kind of do the quick deal and and just get out of there um yeah yeah uh, okay really really support that one the other one linked to that is what we call cq cultural or collective intelligence um getting on with people of a whole range of different backgrounds it's about diversity equality inclusion um how have you developed your uh, cultural intelligence, your ability to get on with people from lots of different backgrounds, different countries, different... Oh, you know, I thank my family for that a lot. Like, that's actually one thing that my family has given me is obviously life itself, but, you know, secondly is is that, is being able to adapt um, in in different um, rooms quickly. So I'm I'm very good at adapting quickly and I know kind of what personality is in front of me by tone, by feel, by physical appearance, like not that I'm making assumptions, but I'm very good at adapting with, with all types of um, people. That's yeah. actually one of the things that I'm, I'm also good at. But, yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of the, the tips that I could give you is just don't overthink or make assumptions about people. Uh, again, going back to getting to know them on a personal level prior to having an opportunity, uh, being an opportunist. It's so true time and again. I think two of the things that have uh, always been something I, I constantly work on, and I think people always have to, one is being not judgmental about other people, their difference and yeah. looking at them and making a judgment on how they even appear and the second one is non-attachment to things, stuff that you get upset if you've lost something or you don't get that, yes. that material good. And, and, and it's, it is quite Zen-like. You have to work on that non-attachment, non-judgment. And I think you sound like adapting quickly and not making assumptions to the things that you have too. You just don't make assumptions. Yeah, it's, it's so simple. Like most of the stuff is you would know better than me. It's very simple. Yeah, you know. no, that's really good. And then on to resilience, um, whether it be your upbringing with uh, your mum and your family um, uh, or, or different experiences you had moving from the country into the city, what would be your tip about resilience and coping with adversity and setbacks? Um, my tip, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, your favourite tip. tip. Yeah. yeah, a bit of advice um, you'd give. Yeah, I think... Um, <laughs> For resilience, it's something that, I mean, you could learn it, but you can't stick to it if it's not something that you want to do. So I think before you go and try and be resilient, I think you need to figure out, you know, or taste a ton of stuff like Gary Vee says and figure out what keeps you wanting to keep trying or keep moving forward on that particular thing. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's kind of like the first thing because there's so many things that I've tried to do and I didn't want to go back and do that. It just didn't mean that I wasn't resilient. It just meant that it wasn't for me. So I think people get mixed up between those two as well. Um, but yeah, being resilient is, is definitely something that I believe you can't learn. <laughs> I just think, I, I mean, I keep changing as well with this, but I think right now at this particular moment I don't think that you cannot you cannot learn grit and you cannot learn resilience I think it's something that you're born with um you know for many reasons and most people may disagree some people may agree but 
I think based it's all based on you know experiences and and you know upbringing and relationships that you have but it's definitely um something that you you're born with or you have like a fire within it, it's a different type of breed I think anyway yeah and it is an interesting point you say um I think back to doing my airborne training when they had you sort oh, of airborne. Yeah, running miles and jumping oh my off, gosh. Jumping off bridges into canals and things like this. So, I would never think that you would do airborne. <laughs> no, well, it just it just uh, scared the living daylights out of me because I didn't like heights. But I think the training that you get can build on the attitude that you have of I'm not gonna give up. I am gonna see this through. Um, but it was interesting, the people who chickened out and, and um, jacked it in, as they said, they had a wagon, a, a vehicle behind, it was called the jack wagon. And if you couldn't do it, get on the jack wagon and you leave now, we'll never see you again. You're gone. Your kit's packed, you've left. Wow. And, yeah. and, and that was quite brutal that, um, you know, from 250 of us, we got down to 36 of us who passed. And and those 250 they're all serious about coming they're trained and prepared for it um yeah but but various things were put in their way to see if they'd give up and i think life's a bit like that it throws things at you to see yes. whether you've got the the grit to keep going or are you going to give up yeah. and yeah they they would deliberately do things i remember one where we came running in after a 10 mile march and i was just dead in my bootstraps <laughs> And uh, we could see the barrier of the, of the gate uh, of the barracks and we were coming in and the, the sergeant went, I think we'll go and do it again. Turn round, off we go. And, we, and soon <laughs> enough, for, for a mile, we did it again. And, and, and we lost 20 people at that stage because they went, I just can't do, I can't do this again. They and of course, he wasn't ever going to do the whole 10 miles, but he did do another mile. And, and of course, in war, the enemy don't go, oh, Belinda, you were tired. We won't come and attack you till tomorrow. Have a sleep. You know, don't worry about it. You know, get your yeah. eight, get your eight hours in. We'll come back later. They don't do that. Anyway, now onto your favorite so topic. Funny. Favorite topic: brand B, BQ, brand reputation, image, and impact. What it would be your tip that you've learned about uh, developing a personal brand, um, yeah, and, and getting feedback from other people on how they experience your brand. What, what's your tip on this one? I think everybody has a personal brand. They just don't advertise it. Um, so I think, you know, do what you do. Just make sure you're showing up online as well, because I truly believe if it didn't, if, if it didn't, if you didn't take a video, if you didn't post about it, if you don't have a photo, it never happened in your mind, but it never happened to, to the world. So I think you can only provide value based on um, showing up online. Um, brand is really important. I think a lot of people, again, overthink this one. Um, it's not as complicated as you think. You don't need to have, you know, a marketing degree or anything like that. It's pretty basic stuff. So um, I believe actually one of my girlfriends, she runs a um, personal branding agency called Clout. And she's, she's a, like a gun, a pro at personal branding. And there was one thing that she said, um, you know, she will, it was like a mixture of what I said also, but she, you know, reclaimed this. She said, you know, people remember people based on how you make them feel. So, you know, you as an individual, you need to show up online and tell your story and make people feel something for them to remember you as a person and as a brand, right? So 
whether it's business or, or personal, you just need to make people feel things because you can say a ton of stuff that could be super valuable, but if they didn't feel anything from that piece of content, they will, won't remember you. Um, so I think just showing up and in, in, in that way. Um, but I think you also need to, you know, go back to like the basic stuff as well as like, why do you want to create a brand? You know, and a brand could be different types of content. You could do written content. You could do audio content. You could do video content. I think pick the one that you're good at because, you know, I'm probably not as good at video, but I'm awesome at writing copy. So I think stick to what you're good at. Don't just create content, like create videos. If you're not really good at videos and you're not getting traction, then maybe don't do that. Do copy or do audio or do a podcast or something like that. So I think um, that's another thing is sticking to to what you do best as well. Yeah, very, very wise. Yeah. And, and as a dyslexic myself, I, I love um, video. I feel like I'm I love, dyslexic. I love audio. Have you had a test? Have you had a test? No, I feel like I should do a ton of tests. I think I'd come up with like all these like crazy things. I think I'm like ADHD. I feel like I've got bipolar. I think I've got like, you know, all these crazy, you know, <laughs> Well, do you know what they're, 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 they're not cr- crazy things a lot of people we, we, all, have, we all say that yeah they yeah, do they yeah do. a lot of a lot of people have different challenges um and i think it's it is worthwhile you going through and doing a batch of tests and seeing what they come up with just so you know i should do that yeah. uh, it took me until i was about um 50 uh even later than 50 to find out do a test and wow. find out i was dyslexic and had dyscalculia but I just found a way around it. But it's nice to know earlier on, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have struggled so hard on on the written word um, because when I did my book, I I dictated it, um, and that was my way of of uh, of recording my book, and that's the way I'll do the next book, which is going to be amazing. CEOs and teams inspiring leadership, uh, in which leaders like you will be in it. So talk about that legacy. What would you like your legacy to be when you pass away in years to come? What would you like people to say about you? What do you think is important oh about legacy? Um, I would love, I guess the future goal for me is to become a sole investor. I'd, I'd love to invest into women tech startups for one, but also invest into the people that I truly believe in. And, and I guess cool, I want to be involved in cool startups. So I think, I want to leave that behind, um, number one. And number two is I'd love to open up an animal sanctuary at one point because I'm obsessed with animals. Um, and that's definitely something that I would love to do on this planet at some point, <laughs> hopefully before I die. Yeah, sounds like, sound like a good plan. You should meet Archie, our Cocker Spaniel. He's been out with me this morning. Do you have a cats or dog? Do I suppose I you're too do, busy? Yeah, I do, yeah. I have a dog. I have a dog. Her dog bed's literally, can you see that black yes, room right behind yeah, me? That's yeah. her dog bed. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's got like three beds in the house. She's like, follows. she's, she's the queen of the house. She, what, what breed she runs she? the household. What breed? Um, she's, she's Maltese uh, Pomeranian. Oh, right. Yeah. She definitely will run the household. I'm sure as a Maltese Pomeranian. <laughs> yeah, she does. <laughs> okay. Well, talking about strong characters, let's talk about teams and strong characters in teams. Yeah. Uh, when you've come across different teams, um, I mean, you can even think back to at school, and I'm sure girls at school could be pretty toxic. Um, they certainly sounded like they were when you were in the country before you got to the city. Um, 
What have you done when you've been in a, a team where it's toxic and tried to make it a high performing team or, or sort it out? What, what's been the advice you'd give to people when they find a toxic situation trying to get it better? Yeah. Um, hmm. I've, had, I've been in many situations like this, like on a personal level and also um, business. I think they look, I like to rip the band aid. I'm a, I'm a very, like, I go in and take the problem out ASAP. Whatever the, the issue is, I like to, like, resolve things and talk about it and, and, you know, be the person, be the leader and, you know, what's going on, what's the real issue. Because um, I think a lot of the times there's, there's a core issue that we don't know about. But I think if it becomes to the, if it comes to the point where it's toxic, not only to the team but to the culture, you just need to rip the Band-Aid. And unfortunately, I, in my opinion, I, I think it's worked over and over again. Um, as much as you talk about it, people won't change. I think it's really hard for people to change who they truly are. So I think you need to rip the Band-Aid and start a new slate in that particular team or, or culture. But I think, yeah, um, in my opinion, rip the Band-Aid has worked for me. In the past, I, I, I just, I just uh, on, on that question of ripping the bandaid, uh, I do, I do relate to that. And are you saying that, for example, if you've got someone who uh, people find difficult to work with, you just get rid of them? Is that, is that your approach? That's what you mean? No, I don't, I don't do that. What I mean by that is, um, so in personal scenarios, I've done, I've done that over and over again in business. Obviously, you know, protocol, you need to have the conversation, have a team conversation, make sure that they're okay, because it could be things that are not, a, not okay at home or, you know, mental health issues or whatnot. So obviously protocols is we need to have the conversation first. But if it's a thing of where it gets to a point where it's called toxic and toxic is quite broad, but when I think toxic, I think bad. Um, and I think that's a bad egg that needs to be removed mm. because mm. if you, if the egg starts to, you know, rub off on other eggs, good eggs, it starts to become a, a, a bad culture over time, mm. you know? And I think, I think sometimes it's, it's good to go in and be the bad cop and just remove the bad egg Yeah, is what I'm saying. But yeah. protocols, obviously I'm not saying, I'm not giving people advice to go and, you know, fire the bad eggs, obviously have the conversation first, um, but, you know, don't leave it, the bad egg in the room too long is what right. I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So good, so good mixed metaphors there, but I certainly get it. <laughs> and, and what about uh, from that? Thank you for that. What about your favorite book on leadership uh, or neuroscience or anything you particularly read recently? What would you have as a favorite I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm a real book reader. I'm, I'm a more of uh, an article podcaster slash audio. I think recently um, I, I, so I actually listened to this podcast recently. I don't know if you've known Ann Summers. Have you heard yes, of her? Yes, yeah. She's famous for her oh. underwear. Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. So I recently discovered her. You should definitely interview her, by the way. She's, like, yeah. amazing. So her upbringing and her whole story is, like, almost like mine. It's crazy. Um, 
yeah, so I recently found this uh, this Ann Summers. I listened to a podcast that was called CEO Diaries or Diaries of the CEO by Stephen something. I can't remember his name. But anyway, she um, mentioned in her podcast um, that, you know, when, because she's in retail, when COVID happened and she got the call and the email saying, you have to shut down 150 stores, you know, as a, as a leader, as a CEO at that point, 150 stores, that's like thousands of staff members she needs to call and say, hey, you don't have a job tomorrow or next week or next month. So um, what I what I learned from her is she said she made, she had the conversation where she was in a position to pay her staff um, ongoing throughout the whole pandemic um, and she was to be able to support them in other ways uh, rather than them actually working. So I think what I'm trying to say is um, a good leader is not, not thinking that you're just a leader. You need to be a supporter. You need to be their, their support system, like a counsellor or their mum or their dad or their best friend. You need to be somebody that they trust to be able to have a conversation with you because if they cannot have a conversation with you, in my opinion, that's not really a good leader because I think good leaders are the people that you feel safe. It's like your safe place. Yeah. So, yeah, what I think what I'm trying to say is, you know, I learned that from that conversation she had with her staff is that she was willing to pay their salary um, ongoing was incredible. So, mm. yeah, she was kind of like their support mechanism, I would say. That's, that's really an amazing story. And, and like you, I, I enjoy listening to podcasts and, uh, and audio books. Yeah, she's... Uh, I, I find that's a good way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm an audio person, yeah. not a reader. That's definitely the way to do it. Uh, for some, but not for all. Um, okay, for and, all. and that's great, Lynn. So we're on to the final, the final piece, which if you just introduce yourself again and then give us a two-minute yes. top tip of your favourite leadership tip. Hi, my name is Belinda Agnew. I am the founder of Focus Group, which is a digital recruitment agency. Uh, love all things tech startup world. Um, allow your employees to, to build a personal brand. That's good. Yeah. Because, because personal brand is more powerful than actually leaving behind an experience with your company. So I think allow your employee to stand alone as their own brand is the future of work, in my opinion. That's a brilliant, brilliant tip. Belinda, thank you very much for being on the Inspiring Leadership Series. We've had a lot of fun. It's just, it's a lighthearted, easy chat, and I've really enjoyed yes. having you. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Bye for now. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. 
And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.